Welcome to Outdoors Radio with Dan Small, your source for the latest hunting and fishing information. Brought to you by LakeLink, your online fishing resource at lake-link.com. Outdoors Radio is also brought to you by Ducks Unlimited. Find out about their upcoming DU Expo at duckexpo.com. And by the Wisconsin Department of Natural Resources Hunter Education Program, dnr.wi.gov. I'm Dan Small. Today we'll talk to retired DNR wildlife technician Jeff Wilson about his new book, Wrong Tree. And we'll hear from Fishing Has No Boundaries Milwaukee Great Lakes Chapter Chairman John Klatt about an upcoming outing for disabled anglers on Lake Michigan this summer. All that and more coming up on Outdoors Radio, so stay right there. It's time now for Madison Outdoors, and you hear this feature every week at this time on Fox Sports 1070 AM and anytime at all on our podcast, which can be found on LakeLink, iHeartRadio, and now OutdoorNews.com. There's a special podcast tab where you can listen to ours and other podcasts as well. And joining us now is Pro Angler and Muskie Wrangler <laughs> and Muskie Angler Wrangler <laughs> this weekend, Duffy Cup. Well, Duffy, thanks for joining us, and welcome back. Gosh, we've been talking a lot this winter. Yeah, my pleasure to be on again, Dan. I know you haven't been doing much fishing because you've been organizing the 20th anniversary Capital City Muskies, Inc. chapter Muskie School. And for folks who are listening to this on Saturday morning, which is most of our listeners, I think, that's going on today, March 25th. Can people still walk in this morning if they make a last-minute decision or just found they got off work? They sure can. We will be taking walk-ins until about quarter to nine this morning. So feel free to come in. It's $45. You make a choice of three of the classes out of the 30 that we've had offered. It's a great day. And I'm going to go out on a limb here, Dan, and I'm going to say that I'm going to guarantee that you're going to leave the place with a smile on your face. Well, yeah, you've been kind of guaranteeing that. And I think you say that with good reason because you've got some fabulous door prizes to give away. We had, and funny, because I was up at the building getting some stuff done prior to the school the other day, and then I came home for lunch, and there is a package on the front stoop, and it's a, I can tell right away there's a rod in that package. <laughs> Pure Fishing sent me another rod to give away in the Muskie School, one of those good Fenwick Predator Elites, really nice products. So if you saw the list that I have in front of me right now, you wouldn't believe it. Yeah, I know, and we have talked about that before. I know you got some great prizes, but let's talk about the classes first. Some, I imagine, are filled. Yes, they are. As of when we're recording this, there were four classes that were filled, and I'll go through those real quick. My class, Muskie Fishing Basics, is full. The next one is Waukesha County Muskies. That's full. And then you've got Planning to Work New Water with Steve Worrell. That is full, and there's one other, Waukesha County Muskies with Colin Schlick. That one is full also, and you got to remember, these are high school classrooms, and they're built for uh, 25 high school kids, so we're putting 25 adults in there of various sizes, so those classrooms are going to be quite full. Yeah, I thought there were some classes on real repair or some tech classes that were full 
early on? Yeah, the real the real repair and maintenance classes have been full for quite a while now. Yeah. Maybe two or three weeks after we opened registration, the rod building class was filled also. But there's still plenty of other good classes in there. And if we have any ladies listening, we've got uh, 16 women coming to the to the school, and 14 of them or 15 of them are signed up for Amanda Wilson's Fish Like a Gal class, and she's going to go over some, some ways to make musky fishing a little bit easier for the women. Oh, good. And can you highlight a couple other classes? I sure can. The most popular one right now is the Oneida Vilas County Muskies. Uh, that's taught by uh, John Kuda and Jerry Jorgensen. As of two days ago, anyway, these figures come. They got over 70 people signed wow. up for that one. Wow. Yeah. And then, uh, of course, the Madison Chain with Jeff Hansen and, and Leif Spildy has 57. Noah Humphill's got 47 in his class. Now, those are higher numbers than 25 because those classes were not scheduled in a classroom. Steve Herbeck's teaching two different classes, and he's got pretty good lineup on both of his. And then Jerry Jorgensen teaches people how to fish with muskies, uh, for, for muskies, with suckers. He's very good at that. Steve Worrell is going to be in the pool. Bobby Orr is going to be talking about Manitowish waters. And it goes on and on and on uh, all the way through the row trolling class. And there's, I didn't mention about uh, 12 of the classes in there. One I would like to mention, because it gets overlooked a lot, is uh, terminal tackle for uh-huh. musky fishing. Sure. John Bett is going to be there, and I have sat through his presentation before. That is outstanding. I was on the edge of my seat every second that, I, that he was in there. I really learned a lot from listening to him. So if you're interested, come on, uh, walk right up to the desk, give him 45 bucks, and you're in. Oh, good. And there are two fly fishing seminars, I know, because I'm teaching one of them, and Dan Donovan of the Musky Fool is teaching the other. I think Dan Small's got a record number uh, <laughs> signed to his class right now, so okay. <laughs> well, that's a good thing. Yeah. All right. So and it shows that there is an interest. Well, I know there is, and I, I have talked with a number of people about that. And, you know, if you've never done it, folks, fly fishing for muskies is, I won't even call it the new frontier, but it's a lot of fun. It's easier to get into than you might think. You don't need to spend a lot of money on new equipment. You'll need a rod and some other tackle, and but for a few hundred dollars and depending on how high end you want to go from a few hundred to a thousand you got all you need to fly fish for muskies and that's not really true with uh, gear tackle i mean i i have two musky rods and reel combos that i don't think i dare say this too loud in case my wife is listening but <laughs> there's well over a thousand dollars right there in just two rigs you know and and that's retail, you know, so uh, sometimes you can find deals. Well, okay, so how does the day work? If somebody comes in, uh, even now at the last minute, signs up, they have a class at 9, so so what happens? Jeff Crandall and I do a kind of a welcome in for the day, starting at uh, 8.05. At 8.30, Steve Wall's going to uh, do a 20 minutes on, so you want to catch a 50-inch muskie. Steve's a pretty entertaining guy. Then you go to whatever class you have picked and you're enrolled in in session one, 
when that's over, you go to session two. So it's kind of like going to high school again, except you're probably maybe a little bit more interested in the two classes you're going to do uh-huh. before lunch. We have a catered lunch. And when the lunch is over, then you're going to go to your third class and get done with that. And you get done at about uh, 2.30, quarter to 3. You go back into the Performing Arts Center, and we start our raffles. And I'm going to tell everybody, it's going to take a while because we have so much stuff to give away. It'll knock your socks off. All right. Well, I am looking forward to it. I know you are. You've been working really hard, you and Jeff and and other guys on the team. I know I've been putting a lot of effort into it. This is the 20th annual. Did you ever think 20 years ago that this might still be going on 20 years down the road? I just remember that first one that I was part of. We really worked hard to do that. You know, I don't know if we got 100, maybe 75 people to come to it. This was way back when before... You know, good cell phones and stuff like that, and a handheld uh, GPS. We were still learning how to do a handheld GPS at that point. Uh, it was really, really a lot of work, but it really was a lot of fun. And the thing that I enjoy more than anything else are the people that come to this thing. I really, really good people. I enjoy that very much. Well, I think that's true of fishermen in general, and I would venture to say especially musky fishermen, because we treat them very well. We let them go, most of us, most of the fish we catch, and, you know, that kind of instills a friendly attitude, a a caring attitude, a conservationist attitude on the part of the participants, I think. Yeah, I think most of the guys are pretty much into the conservation part and the 80-degree water and that whole thing. Musky fishermen in general uh, are not afraid to spend money either, so <laughs> we get a lot of raffle tickets. Do it. If you run out of cash, by the way, we have the capabilities now of taking your credit card and selling your raffle tickets. Fantastic. And where does the money go? <laughs> you're raising money. Obviously, you're paying for lunch. The, the main goal of the school is not to raise money. It's to pay back the activity. Any money that's left over after we pay all our bills, number one goes into uh, stocking the Madison Lakes, which really is a great musky fishery. We also help the DNR with their musky research in the Madison area. And then the third thing, we're giving out two college scholarships to Wanakee High School seniors this year. Fantastic. Well, Duffy, I am looking forward to it. I will see you very soon. And folks, as we mentioned, there's still time. If you're hearing this on Saturday morning, come on down to the Wanakee High School and sign up for the Muskie School. You will not regret it. If you're a Muskie fisherman, there's a lot going on here, and you'll have a great time, I guarantee. So thank you, Duffy. We'll see you soon. Okay, thank you, Dan. You bet. Duffy Cup with the Madison Outdoors Report. I'm Dan Small. More Outdoors Radio right after this. If you're ever in a motor vehicle accident, call Hupe and Abraham, named Best Personal Injury Law Firm by the Wisconsin Law Journal year after year. The firm of Hupe and Abraham has collected more than a billion dollars for its clients. In fact, they collect millions of dollars every month for hundreds of satisfied clients. Call the firm voted best and rated best, Hupe and Abraham, 800-800-5678, or visit Hupe.com. And all 11 offices of Hupe and Abraham in Wisconsin, Iowa, and Illinois are open for business. 
The firm of Hupy and Abraham has paid thousands of dollars in rewards to help solve crimes in the Milwaukee area. Michael Hupy is the president of Milwaukee Crime Stoppers, and he's offering a $25,000 reward for the next anonymous tip that solves a homicide case. So if you've got such a tip, visit MilwaukeeCrimestoppers.com. Joining me now is Jeff Kelm. He is down in Spring Valley, Illinois. We are recording this midweek, and Jeff, you're kind of right in the middle of two back-to-back walleye tournaments there in Spring Valley, aren't you? Yeah, I would say that the two biggest in the nation, we have the Masters Walleye Circuit that we ran uh, over the course of Friday and Saturday, and then uh, now we're into the National Walleye Tour. Uh, Both happened at Spring Valley. Both happened at uh, Spring Valley Boat Club. Uh, We're just before the day two weigh-in, and so that'll be exciting to see what happens here. But, you know, the Masters Walleye Circuit event was cold, um, like bitter, bitter cold. We're talking uh, the, the, the temperature at takeoff on Saturday was 13 degrees with a 20-mile-an-hour wind. Oh, boy. Uh, it was bitter. Um, and uh, you know what? Believe it or not, the guys caught better fish on day two on that Saturday than they did the day before. Wow. So it's incredible the adversity that these anglers are able to work through. Um, so the Masters Walleye Circuit, Sammy Capelli and Tony Carrick won with 21 pounds and 5 ounces. Uh, that's even a low weight for, for Spring Valley. We usually don't see really, really big weights in Spring Valley. We're fishing for augers that range from a pound and a half to maybe two and a half pounds or so um but uh but we generally see some kicker walleyes saw a few less kicker walleyes in there and i think the big fish for the weekend was like four pounds we're seeing a slightly larger fish now for the national walleye tour um they're just starting to kind of kind of turn on i guess we've got some clear water conditions and uh and so the national walleye tour anglers are just kind of having better conditions to be in. And so they're catching a little bit larger fish, and those females are starting to turn on and, and uh, starting to show up. And I think uh, we had some bags. Uh, we don't weigh big fish in the National Walleye Tour, but I do think we had some bags. We had some probably four-and-a-half-pound fish in them. Probably a few different bags had four-and-a-half-pound fish in them. And, um, uh, you know, we'll see what we see later on this afternoon. All right. Well, what body of water or bodies of water are you fishing down there? Yeah, so this is the Illinois River. The anglers are able. We're in the uh, we're in the Peoria Starved Rock pool. So Peoria is on the, the south end of it, and and uh, Starved Rock, Utica, uh, Utica, Illinois, rather, is uh, on the north end of it or upstream side of it. And uh, the anglers are able to lock up and down if they want to, uh, but uh, most of them are staying within this pool. It's quite a large pool on the Illinois River. A lot of area to cover, a lot of fish to catch. So um, they're they're having a good time. A lot of groups of anglers when you go up and down the river you can see where there's clearly been some fish caught uh you've got kind of a pile of uh, of anglers together and this is the river that has silver carp the invasive asian carp are they in that section and are they a problem if they are yeah so they are in this section but the water temp is so cold that's what i wondered uh, yeah yeah you really don't get much of them surfacing like you do in the summertime they're pretty lethargic at this point the guys certainly do hook into them uh during the the course of the way the fishing uh they feel them bumping their lines and stuff like that they kind of got a thud to them when they they cross the lines as uh they tend to be a little bit bigger than some of those walleyes and saugers in the system um but uh 
yeah, you know, it's not too much of a problem this time of year. Certainly, if it was warmer, I think we would see quite a few, quite a few issues. Yeah, you would. Running up and down the river, they would be jumping into the boats. Uh, I was there 10 years ago, and I can't imagine that it's gotten any better since then. Well, Jeff, we're going to let you go and let you finish the uh, National Walleye Tour tournament there and drive safely coming home. We'll get a full report on that event on next week's show, and we'll talk to you again then. Sounds good, Dan. Thanks for the call. You bet. Jeff Kelm joining us from Spring Valley, Illinois. He'll be back with us next week. I'm teaching a Muskie fly fishing seminar this Saturday morning at the Capital City Chapters of Muskie, Inc. Muskie School at Wanakee High School. And if you're hearing this early Saturday morning and you're not too far from Wanakee and you got time, you could still walk in and register for the Muskie School. You take three classes, two in the morning, one in the afternoon, uh, lunch is provided. The fee is very reasonable and there are lots of door prizes. And you can learn more at Muskie University. Dot com And this afternoon, again, if you're listening on Saturday, I'll be at the Milwaukee chapter of Great Lakes Sport Fisherman Open House at the New Berlin Ale House. That's at 16,000 West Cleveland Avenue in New Berlin. They'll have bucket raffles, exhibitors, and guest speakers. Dan Keating is talking this morning about Great Lakes fishing, and I'll be there from roughly 1 to 4 this afternoon talking about 50 years of Wisconsin outdoor adventures. Coming up, retired DNR wildlife technician Jeff Wilson and his wife Terry Dalton talk about their new book that covers 30-plus years of adventure working with wildlife across North America and all over the world. But first, Great Lakes Milwaukee Chapter of Fishing Has No Boundaries President John Klett talks about an upcoming outing on Lake Michigan for disabled anglers. All that and more straight ahead on Outdoors Radio. Get outside and let us be your guide. Lawrence County, Wisconsin. Are you looking for a safe Northwoods destination for outdoor recreation? Florence County has over 200,000 acres of uncrowded public land with 160 miles of wooded ATV trails, many lakes and rivers to fish or paddle, seven wild river waterfalls to hike to, horse trails with campgrounds, and friendly bars and restaurants. Go to the ExploreFlorenceCounty.com lodging, dining, and recreation tabs to plan your trip. Flow has made world-class recreational and utility trailers for 40 years, and the industry-leading innovations keep on coming. Choose an all-aluminum UT model or Cargo Max, the only utility trailer with a molded polymer bed, integrated sides, and an engineered aluminum frame. With either one, you'll know you don't have just any old trailer. If a new trailer is on your mind, check out floeintl.com. Flow trailers, where the rubber meets the road. Introducing the all-new OutdoorNews.com. The most trusted source for all things out of doors in the Great Lakes region just got better. At OutdoorNews.com, you'll now have full access to every outdoor news story, breaking news and updates, our comprehensive fishing and hunting reports, pro tips, and much more for our seven-state region and beyond. Top hunters and anglers look to Outdoor News to keep them up to date and ahead of the crowd. Now it's easier than ever with the all-new OutdoorNews.com. Here's a message from our friends at Remy Battery in Milwaukee, Escanaba, and Houghton. We at Remy Battery Company want to thank all of our customers and friends we have made over the past 90-plus years and your continued support of our local, family-owned company. Stop in and see the expertise of over nine decades of battery knowledge and customer service. Let us take care of the batteries for all of your needs, from power tools to sump pumps and ATVs to hunting decoys, even down to the smallest hearing aids. 
big and small, we have them all. Stop in for a free battery and electrical check before you hit the road, trails, or waters. Don't forget to ask your sales representatives about volume pricing. Call Remy at 414-384-0340 or visit online at remybattery.com for all your battery and battery accessory needs. Welcome back to your source for the latest hunting and fishing information. Outdoors Radio with Dan Small. Welcome back to Outdoors Radio. I'm Dan Small. Joining me now is John Klett. He's president of the Great Lakes Milwaukee chapter of Fishing Has No Boundaries. And they've got an event coming up in June that we're going to talk about. Well, John, thanks for joining us and welcome to the Outdoors Radio Network. Well, Dan, on behalf of Fishing Has No Boundaries and the Great Lakes Milwaukee chapter, as chairman, I thank you very much for putting me on the radio. Well, you bet. I had a chance to meet you at the Journal Sentinel Sports Show about a week ago and chat a little bit about your event. And I am familiar with Fishing Has No Boundaries, but for folks who don't know and never heard of it, tell us about the organization. We're one of surviving 18 chapters after COVID, seven in the state of Wisconsin. And we, uh, out of Milwaukee chapter, uh, provide the opportunity and pleasure to those with physical challenges to fish the big water of Lake Michigan, deep sea style. And coming up on uh, June 3rd, which is the same day there's a free fishing day, you don't need a license. For those that are challenged physically and mentally, uh, they're invited to join us out of South Shore Yacht Club. We'll talk to you about it a little bit more. Sure. So what happens on that day? How does it work? If you sign up, first and foremost, a participant will join us at 5.30 in the morning. Uh, from there, by 6 o'clock, be registered and on board. And they'll uh, partner with the captain through our fleet director, Brandon Witt, who, along with Ryan Floor, pretty much in charge of partnering the boat captains who volunteer their crafts for the day, seasoned fishermen on Lake Michigan, to uh, pick up a couple of people, maybe one or two, depending on boat size, uh, to uh, fish uh, the big water. And uh, as you know, June 3rd is a good opportunity to, to fish for coho salmon and brown trout and rainbow trout and, of course, a chance, uh, like last year, for a 22-pound Chinook salmon. If you can get yourself on board, signed up, and uh, we'd be delighted to have them. So the day includes a morning of fishing. Boats return around the lunch hour for a picnic-style lunch at a picnic table underneath the big white tent. We do have a weigh-in provide filet and ice service for uh, the catch and that's all done in packages put in coolers and ready for people to take home with them and then we have a ceremony along with that hot lunch uh, a photo op and then the big fish trophy goes out that pretty much wraps up the day and we make a lot of new friends and look forward to it again this year okay and who is eligible to join you to fish that day I like to think of it as being all-inclusive and intergenerational. I like to have a mixed group, young and old alike. We partner with a couple of people like yourself. There's this new alliance for me. The word is getting out to a broader audience. Pat Horvath of Veterans Afield has been my mentor and very instrumental in helping put the veterans on board. I like to have youngsters, teenage years, Participants get to go with their uh, advocate, 
which is either a parent or a family member or someone to assist on board. So there's 30 participants with an advocate. So that you multiply that times two, you got 60 people that are boat captain and a first mate. Before you know it, you got 120 people, and then all the volunteers on shore. We might have a gathering of 200 people. That's quite a collection of people. Now you have guides or charter captains. Are they paid, yes. or is there any charge for this? We offer it free, so we've been able to eliminate any cost, whether you're a veteran or a youngster or what have you. All people are included. It's all inclusive. The captains are all seasoned. We insure boats up to 26 feet. Anything over 26 feet, those boats uh, are welcome to join us, but they provide their own insurance on board, and we make sure that that's all taken care of. One of the other important things is to let people know that as participants, if they're saying, well, how do I get on a boat and stuff like that? We offer lift assistance through the Milwaukee Firefighters, who are another partner with us that have a dive team, you know, a bunch of young firefighters, and people are able-bodied to lift people over the seawall and onto boats and safely get people on board. If they need to be in their chair, we provide that as well, or they do. So boat captains are... Some charter captains, mostly people from the GLSF, the Great Lakes Sports Fishermen Group. They're a headliner in our group. Bob Winchuk and Brian Hayden and the, uh, the rest of the board invited me. They tapped me on the shoulder one meeting, Dan, and, and asked me if I'd want to do this for Fishing Has No Boundary. And I said, well, I don't know much about it. Well, I thought about it overnight and talking with people, and I thought, well, this, this is right for me, and it's been a good fit ever since. I've enjoyed it as a sort of a weekend fisherman myself. I do now that I'm retired, able to get out and fish with people during the week and learn about the big water and safely fish it. So safety first and all that. But a lot of the captains with their first mate are from the GLSF. And I'm hoping that we have a group all the way from Racine, Kenosha area up to Sheboygan, maybe up up the coast a little bit further, but everybody's welcome to, as a captain. And I think with that question that you asked, we do need boat captains to grow our event. It's a day that charter captains might want to be out with paying customers, and it has to fit for the captain to make the decision to join us, and we'd be more than happy to welcome them. All right. Where can people learn more, either to volunteer as a captain or as someone on shore? I suppose you need help with the lunch crew and all that. Or people who want to maybe participate, if they know someone who would want to participate. How can we learn more? They go to our website, FHNB Great Lakes, MKE.com. They'll be able to find out a lot more about it and how to register and be a volunteer, donate, or be a sponsor, or participant, or boat captain. There's a telephone number for boat captains. That's on the website, isn't it? Yep. And if you want to be a participant, my telephone number is there, too. And that, uh, our email address is uh, Milwaukee at gmail. All right. Um, participants are eager. They're all fishermen. Both captains are eager to volunteer and enjoy the event. All right. Well, we will mention that website again. It's FHNBGreatLakesMKE.com. And, folks, if you can't remember that, if you just go online and search Fishing Has No Boundaries, you'll find the 
national webpage, there's a tab for chapters. You'll find the Milwaukee chapter and all the contact information can be accessed right there. John, thanks so much for sharing this and for telling us about this event. It's something you do every year. You call it the Big Fish event, I understand. We hope you have a lot of success this year. We hope some more people sign up as volunteers, and we hope you get a full crew of participants as well. Well, again, thank you very much, Dan, for having me on, and I look forward to those calls. And on behalf of Fishing Has No Boundaries, Great Lakes, Milwaukee Chapter, I'd like to invite you along to break some bread with us and have lunch and see how it all works. If you are open on June 3rd, you're, you're welcome to join us. Well, thank you. I appreciate the invitation. Well, folks, John Klett is the chairman of the Great Lakes Milwaukee Chapter of Fishing Has No Boundaries. We've been talking about their big fish event for physically challenged folks, for the most part, veterans and otherwise. And that's on June 3rd. And again, the website, fhnbgreatlakesmke.com. Just search Fishing Has No Boundaries, and you'll get all the information there. I'm Dan Small. You are listening to Outdoors Radio. Listen to more Outdoors Radio online at dansmalloutdoors.com. Welcome back to Outdoors Radio with Dan Small. Welcome back to Outdoors Radio. I'm Dan Small. You know, every so often a book comes across my desk that I think I will really appreciate and that I think you will appreciate as well. And I just finished reading such a book. The title is Wrong Tree. And it was written by Jeff Wilson and illustrated by his wife, Terry Dalton. And Jeff is a retired Wisconsin DNR wildlife technician, and we'll ask him about that job and the work it entailed in just a bit. And Terry is an environmental educator and artist, and together they came up with the idea for a conservation advocacy organization that I'm sure you've heard of that became Wisconsin's Green Fire. They live in Iron County, Wisconsin. They split their time between their home in Mercer and their cabin on an island in the middle of the Turtle Flambeau flowage in a beautiful location, and they travel around the world as well. They have a website for this book. It's called wrongtreebook.com, and they join us now by phone. Uh, Jeff, we're going to talk to you first. Thanks for joining us, and welcome to the Outdoors Radio Network. Well, thank you as well, Dan. I'm, I'm glad to be here, and I appreciate the invitation. Well, gosh, where to start? I've known the two of you since your undergrad days at Northland College, and I think you and I first worked together on a TV shoot for Outdoor Wisconsin when you and John Olson took me on a TV crew snowshoeing across the frozen ice of the Turtle Flambeau flowage to install an osprey platform on the top of a white pine. I'm sure you remember that outing, although you did that probably a hundred times. I was there just once. I do remember that. We had a lot of fun on that excursion. And, you know, we just tapped things up. And between John and I, we've erected now over 200 of those platforms all over Wisconsin as well as Minnesota and Iowa. 
And what amazed me that day, and I, I'm a tree climber, or I was in my younger days, but boy, you go up a white pine like it's just a, a ladder and you're, you're just taking a stroll, and there you are hanging from the top of the tree, sawing off the top and installing this platform. Were you ever frightened of, by the height of, of uh, that endeavor? Well, you know, that, like a lot of other activities, had its trials and tribulations. But John and I always said, not anybody should, can do this job. It actually requires a test. And we always told people the test was the common IQ test. Lowest score got the job. And <laughs> we really never had much competition for it. <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, we know that you're not serious there, but it does take a certain amount of courage and, I guess, what-the-hell attitude to climb a tree and uh, put a, a nest platform in a tree or a climb a tree with a nest full of birds that have two-inch talons or wrestle with a bear uh, in a trap, and you've done all that. But, uh, gosh, you got your start back in Iowa. Uh, how did you get interested in wildlife? Well, growing up on an Iowa farm, both my mom and dad were always home, so we didn't get to town all that much. And back then it was legal to actually have wild animal pets. And through my boyhood, I had a pet fox, I named Zorro, who was so tame he'd ride in the truck with me. I have a story about him in the book. I had a pet, descented skunk named Flower, and I had a raccoon. And back then there was a, a story by Hayden North, I think, called Rascal. And oh, yeah. I read that story about yep. a boy and his raccoon. I just wanted one in the worst way. And so I think my real love for wildlife started with those wild animal pets. And, of course, then when I got to be over 12 years old, I was in the heart of cottontail rabbit and pheasant hunting territory and so I spent a lot of my boyhood tromping the what I call the, the creek roman days where I fished in the creek and hunted trapped muskrats in the marsh and I had a wonderful wonderful boyhood in Iowa and I think it was those wild animals though that kind of set me off and steered me to a degree in resource management in wildlife. A lot of adults can say, yeah, I hunted cottontails and uh, I played around with wildlife when I was a kid, too. But you made a career of it and your book, Wrong Tree, I read it from cover to cover and I don't always do that. I just loved it. And I honestly think it's an important book for several reasons. Your stories about your work and your adventures with wildlife, whether it's here in Wisconsin or around the world, uncover the backstory of wildlife management and environmental policy decisions that people don't understand. A lot of people have attitudes about scientists and the DNR in particular, uh, but gosh, if they followed you for a day or two, as I have uh, in, in person, or if they follow you by reading these stories, they'll get a different picture of what goes on behind the scenes. Well, I totally agree with you there. But another reason I wrote the book was for inspiration of people to maybe want to pursue a career in resource management. And I don't want to instill that you have to be from an Iowa farm and a farm background to be a good wildlife biologist or wildlife technician. We have terrific people in the field right now that come from urban environments, and that's perfectly fine. Some of my best colleagues come from urban environments. But you're right, the background and that love for wildlife, that is what inspired me to write the book. I want people to know what a wildlife technician actually does. What does a wildlife biologist do? And what is it like to ride in the truck with a field technician who's doing resource management? What's it like to go down in a bear den? What's it like to ear tag a bear? What is it like to, um, like you said, climb an osprey platform and ban an osprey or an eagle? And uh, so I'm hoping the book is inspirational in that sense. 
that others might read it and someday hopefully consider a similar career. Yeah, that's certainly a noble goal for the book, and I think it will inspire people. I also think it should be read by every legislator in this state anyway, especially those who think that we don't need any more science behind wildlife management decisions. And for that same reason, it ought to be read by all the people who think management decisions are made by pencil pushers in Madison. They have no clue what's going on out there. I know you've met them, the barstool biologists, who know there are no more deer and there are way too many wolves and so on and so forth. I'd like to see more of those people read this book or or at least hear some of your stories. Well, I totally agree. That's why when I wrote these stories, they're anecdotal stories. There's about 60 of these stories. But I wanted it to um, definitely entertain, first of all. So somebody could pick that book up and really enjoy reading it. And I also, as I go through the different animals I worked with, where I started with the beaver years, trapping and relocated, problem beaver, and then I get into ospreys and bears, and then we get tundra swans, and we end with wolves. And what I actually want to do is also teach the natural history of each animal. So as you read the book and you're entertained, I want you to also become educated in what is the science behind these animals, and how do we as field biologists actually collect data to come up with population modeling. And and, uh, so I wanted, like you said, to let the public know what we really do in DNR and how it works and how all that data is fed in. And, you know, just give them a little uh, roadside cruise on the life of a wildlife tech. And another thing that I learned in reading this book that you and your colleagues were pretty good tinkerers. If you needed a tool that didn't exist, you created it, like the bear trap that you added a cow stanchion to so that you could ear tag a bear by getting his head caught in the, in the stanchion and not have to, to drug him first. I mean, that was ingenious, yeah. you know? <laughs> I think John Olson and I ended up probably ear tagging in that technique about 80 bears over our career. And of course, it came about because the Food and Drug Administration had said, no drugging, we don't want any controlled substances in an animal 30 days prior to the possible consumption of the meat. So with the bear hunting season opening like the first week in September, we had to stop tranquilizing bears, thus ear-tagging them about the first week in August. But we knew we needed that data. I mean, ear-tagged bear data can be used in a lot of ways. And uh, not only uh, about that particular bear, but it can also be used as part of our census technique for population model. So that's why we tried to come up with that so-called invention, which did work, you know, after a few trials and tribulations, but it did actually work. You're right, there are a few stories about how we finagle things to make it work and uh, kind of build things on the spot, so to speak. And there are stories where the animals didn't really cooperate with you. Um, there's some great bear stories in there, like the one who ended up watching TV. Tell us about that bear. Okay, that was a very odd situation. It was in the town of Montreal, which is a suburb of Hurley, Wisconsin. My work area was Iron and National County, so this was in Iron County. Usually when you get a bear problem, most of the time, especially if it's a nuisance complaint, most of the time it's a fluid situation. You know, if you remove the food, you remove the bear problem. But in this case, I go up, and this place is immaculately clean. An elderly woman lives there with her two cats. She called because she said a bear had entered her home and torn her door off. And so I get there, and her story is she's watching this television show called Hunter, hmm. uh, which was a kind of a crime show in the 80s. Sure. And she hears a little ruckus uh, behind her. She senses there's something in the room, and she turns around, 
and here is a big old bear sitting right there watching the television with her. And she, of course, screams, and the bear takes off and uh, took the door with it. So when I arrived, there was no door. <laughs> what had actually happened there, I believe, was she had propped the door open about a foot. So her cats could come and go. It was a hot summer night, and the bear had stuck its nose in, opened the door, came in, got on the cat food, and then uh, seeing her sit there watching Hunter, decided to take a look and watch Hunter himself. <laughs> and, of course, when he left uh, in a hurried manner, the door only swings one way, and thus the door was removed. Anyway, within a day, I did catch the bear, and it was a huge bear, and I resolved the problem, but it was always one of those stories that puzzled me because it was so unusual. And I guess the, the book does, as you say, have a lot of those unusual things. I mean, it was almost inevitable the word wrong be in the, in the title because <laughs> there are a few wrong things. There are plenty of right things, but yeah. there are a, a few wrong things that did happen in that 30-year span. Well, we'll come back and talk about some more of those. we got to take a break here. Will you stay with us? I'd be happy to. All right. Folks, I'm talking with Jeff Wilson, retired DNR wildlife technician, about his new book, Wrong Tree, and we'll continue this conversation right after this. I'm Dan Small. You are listening to Outdoors Radio. Attention future hunters. Hunting season for turkey, small game, and deer is right around the corner. Don't wait to think about hunter education. The time to enroll is now. The Wisconsin DNR offers several options to choose from, making it easier than ever to enroll. Just browse for upcoming youth or adult hunter education classes at gowild.wi.gov and join the ranks of today's hunter education graduates who are ensuring the safe future of our hunting heritage. Classes fill up quickly, so don't wait. Enroll today. A message from Wisconsin DNR. Flow has made world-class recreational and utility trailers for 40 years, and the industry-leading innovations keep on coming. Choose an all-aluminum UT model or Cargo Max, the only utility trailer with a molded polymer bed, integrated sides, and an engineered aluminum frame. With either one, you'll know you don't have just any old trailer. If a new trailer is on your mind, check out floeintl.com. Flow trailers, where the rubber meets the road. For the nonprofit Ruffed Grouse Society, the well-being of the Ruffed Grouse and American Woodcock is a special priority. But the Society's conservation work benefits more than just these two game birds. The organization's programs help a long list of other young forest wildlife, including songbirds that must have thick, brushy habitat to survive. For more information about forest wildlife habitat management, contact the Ruffed Grouse Society toll-free at 888-JOIN. RGS. Enjoy the ultimate shooting experience at the Range of Richfield, your one-stop shop for all shooters. Just north of the Richfield Cabela's store on Helson Drive, the Range of Richfield offers 12 state-of-the-art 25-yard indoor shooting lanes for all pistol and common rifle loads. Classes in home defense, basic handgun and concealed carry, a retail shop, trophy mount display, and more in a welcoming, family-friendly setting. Open daily except Monday to the public and members. Your ultimate shooting experience, therangewi.com. Welcome back to your source for the latest hunting and fishing information. Outdoors Radio with Dan Small. Welcome back to Outdoors Radio. I'm Dan Small. I'm talking with Jeff Wilson, and we'll be talking with his wife, Terry Dalton, in just a few minutes. Jeff wrote a book after a 30-year career with the Wisconsin DNR and working with wildlife, and the book is called wrong tree and we'll ask about that title in just a bit so jeff joins us by phone from 
Mercer, Wisconsin. Jeff, there are a lot of people in this book, and what I told you before we started recording is, man, it's almost like old home week for me. I know about half the people you mentioned in the book. There are a lot of colleagues and friends and new acquaintances who appear in your stories. Well, Dan, that was a lot of fun for me writing the book as well, because it's just not my story alone. I mean, the second half of the book is Terry Dalton and I, after we're married and we're doing all these other research projects, but the first part of the book especially is about all these young people that sort of showed up at my place. I had like seven different graduate students from Stevens Point working on black bears. I had a loon researcher. I had a PhD on loons that I worked with. I had Merlin Falcon, master's student from Eau Claire, had all these fun people. And part of writing the book and part of the fun of it was following them through their careers. You know, some of them are professors at universities. Uh, many of them have their doctorate. One of them became an administrator. One of them showed up as an LTE. That's the lowest paid position in DNR and retired last year as a division administrator with the Bureau of Wildlife Management. A lot of the fun of the book was telling their story because it's as exciting as mine. It certainly was. And I asked you this off air, but I will ask you now, you worked with all of these people who went on to get graduate degrees and teach in universities, and yet you remained in the field. What is it about the work that you did that kept you there instead of instead of going somewhere else or taking an advanced position? Well, I did start up Grew as an LTE, then I went to Park Falls, and then later at Mercer. At least 20 years of my career was at Mercer. Well, actually 30 years. I love Mercer. It's a small town. It's about 800 people. Uh, nice community. I, I owned a home. I was raising a family. And I think people that pursue careers in resource management, they're really not out for the money. They want the adventure. They, they want to feel they're doing something moral with their lives. And I think a lot are driven for more than incentive and going up the ladder, so to speak. But anyway, in my case, I was quite satisfied with where I was. I have always had wonderful supervisors that really gave me a lot of leeway. Blessed with that. So I was just fine as a tech, and I really liked the field work. I'm one of the few people who can say I wore out two pairs of snowshoes in my career. Wow. Yeah, the money, it, it just wasn't that big a factor for me, I guess. I love the area I was at, and I, I had a couple chances to advance, but I was just fine where I was. I didn't want to sit in the office and do budgets and field reports and, and work plans. I, I'd rather be out tromping around in the North Woods collecting data on different wildlife species. And you collected all kinds of data. Is there one species among those you worked with that you love working with more than any other? Well, you know... Of course, I met my wife, Terry Dalton, through Loon, because she was the Loon Watch coordinator for Sigurd Olson Environmental Institute. Mm -hmm. And then I teamed up with Dr. Mike Meyer, who is our state's first toxicologist. And he was looking at loons. He, he previously looked at eagles, but he was looking at loons as environmental indicator for toxins in the environment. And what we really focused on with Mike, and what I'm proud of on loons is our work, Mike's work actually contributed to um, setting emission standards for coal-fired electrical power plants, mercury emissions, throughout the Midwest. So here we have this wonderful uh, pragmatic species, the common loon, and by taking feather samples and blood samples, we could actually use that indicator species, this apex species that bioaccumulates toxins, as an in environmental indicator bird, or species, I should say, for uh, contaminants in our lakes. Now, who would have thought that, you know, all that could 
could come around full circle, I guess, but it does. And, you know, other, other species, of course, were uh, rough grouse, woodcock surveys, deer surveys, um, <laughs> frog and toad surveys, you know. Um, when I started in 76, there wasn't even a Bureau of Endangered Resources. Right. Now, you know, these species are very important for ecological health and also, like frogs and toads, are very good indicator species for toxins as well. A lot of the book, I try to connect the dots, so to speak, to let the general public kind of know what, what we do out there and how it all makes a difference in our lives, yeah. in our health. Yeah, absolutely. You, you mentioned a couple of uh, activities that, that I've done, uh, not with you, but with Fred Strand. I did a frog and toad survey one night with him, and we drove his uh, transects, and we ended the night on the banks of the Brule River, lying on our back watching the most amazing northern lights display I had ever seen at that time. I remember my son wanted to go with us because he was five or six at the time, and he thought we were going to catch frogs. And I said, no, no, we're just going to listen to him. And that puzzled him, so, uh, you know, and, and I wasn't going to take a five-year-old on that trip anyway. But uh, but that was a great outing. And then later when John, my son was uh, 10, I think we were out with Jack Coke when he trapped a bear in a culvert trap, and he drugged the bear, pulled it out, and did the work that he had to do. And, of course, you know, having worked with TV crews, it takes longer to do something when you're doing it for television. And oh, for sure. he was done with the bear work, but we were still shooting video. And he said, well, we got to get this bear back in the trap. And we pushed the bear's hind end, and the bear actually walked the last three steps to get back into the culvert trap. That was, you were running out of time then. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, we were. Yeah. Uh, and John really remembers that because we had a, a bag of black cherries, and he was holding them by the stem and putting them through a hole in the culvert trap, and the bear was popping them with his teeth and, and enjoying that snack. It's probably the only time sure. he ever got uh, that kind of snack. I'm sure he ate a lot of donuts in his day. Well, as you know, the book is full of bear stories, and they are an interesting species to work with because things can go wrong with them and, and can go right. Yeah, my years with bear work were very exciting years. I enjoyed it very much. I enjoyed all the grad students I worked with on that project. Well, let's talk to Terry for a second, if we may, if you can pass okay, the phone to here's, her. Here's Terry. Hi, Dan. Hi, Terry. How are you? I'm doing great. Well, I'm sure Thanks you... Thanks for talking with us. Well, this is a, a real treat for me. I'm sure you've heard all of Jeff's stories so many times you must be tired of them, but he tells a great story, and you illustrated the book very nicely with, are those, um, what do you call those? Are those woodcuts, or is that another technique? Well, I'm glad to hear you suggest that they're woodcuts, because that was my original intent, but as often happens with a couple, you get into arm wrestling over details, and the first couple woodcuts that I tried weren't detailed enough for Jeff, and I thought, well, what can I do? I can't quite capture the level that he wants, and I luckily ended up up at the Sigurd Olsen Nature Writing Awards and ran into an illustrator up there who worked on Scratchboard, and I bent her ear a little bit and decided to go with Scratchboard, but trying to make them look like woodcuts, so sort of have that look of the old WPA poster look. They're black and white, and they were really fun to do. You did a good job of complementing the stories with your art. Is there a favorite illustration in there of yours? That's a funny thing that you asked that, Dan, because one of my favorites is one that Jeff wondered, why was I doing it? And it was a, <laughs> a picture I did of a black lab barking. And he's like, what are you doing with that? And it was a, a story about some bear 
cubs that had gone up a tree, yep. unbeknownst to the homeowner, and their dog was going nuts every time the female bear would come into the yard, not realizing there were cubs in the tree. So I did a drawing of that lab barking, but with a thought bubble coming off of his head with the bear cubs up the tree. And that one was really fun to do. So, you know, another one I really enjoyed was another bear one. There was a story in Mellon about the dog Bandit who saved his owner from a bear attack when he chased the bear out of the pig yard. Yep. And I... Uh, did a nice sketch of Bandit Ed Tafelski's boots because he'd fallen down and the bear running at full clip. So that was kind of fun. I remember that one as well. Can you put Jeff on so we can wrap this up? But thanks for sharing your story behind the stories. We got more to talk about here. So Okay, here he is. <laughs> yeah, all right, thank you. You're back. Well, gosh, we've got to wrap this up here, but what I'd like to do is bring you back another time and have you tell one of the stories. I'll let you pick your favorite one to tell from the the book, and uh, we'll give people another taste of it here because we've been talking about it, but they haven't yet tasted the book itself. So would you do that? I'd love to do it. Anytime, Dan. Be more happy. All right, great. We will do that. Well, folks, I'm talking with Jeff Wilson and his wife, Terry Dalton. They wrote and illustrated a book called Wrong Tree, and you can get copies if you want to read it yourself. Their website is wrongtreebook.com, and we'll have Jeff on on another show soon to tell us one of those stories. I'm Dan Small. You are listening to Outdoors Radio. Get outside and let us be your guide. Lawrence County, Wisconsin. Are you looking for a safe Northwoods destination for outdoor recreation? Florence County has over 200,000 acres of uncrowded public land with 160 miles of wooded ATV trails, many lakes and rivers to fish or paddle, seven wild river waterfalls to hike to, horse trails with campgrounds, and friendly bars and restaurants. Go to the ExploreFlorenceCounty.com lodging, dining, and recreation tabs to plan your trip. For the nonprofit Ruffed Grouse Society, the well-being of the ruffed grouse and American woodcock is a special priority. But the Society's conservation work benefits more than just these two game birds. The organization's programs help a long list of other young forest wildlife, including songbirds that must have thick, brushy habitat to survive. For more information about forest wildlife habitat management, contact the Ruffed Grouse Society toll-free at 888-JOIN. RGS. Attention future hunters. Hunting season for turkey, small game, and deer is right around the corner. Don't wait to think about hunter education. The time to enroll is now. The Wisconsin DNR offers several options to choose from, making it easier than ever to enroll. Just browse for upcoming youth or adult hunter education classes at gowild.wi.gov and join the ranks of today's hunter education graduates who are ensuring the safe future of our hunting heritage. Classes fill up quickly, so don't wait. Enroll today. A message from Wisconsin DNR. The Midwest's largest fishing website, lake-link.com, is your online fishing resource. 90% of Lake Link's features are yours to use free of charge. And members get access to Lake Link's online lake map library, lets you get GPS coordinates of any spot on the lake, and export waypoints to your onboard electronics. Members also get free outdoor classified ads, discounts on online store merchandise, and a whole lot more. You can also listen to Outdoors Radio 24-7 on Lake Link. Listen to this week's show... Catch any of our past shows, subscribe to our podcast, or even sign up for our weekly e-newsletter so you'll know in advance what's coming up right here. Just type in the keyword radio. 
See what you've been missing. Log on to lake-link.com today. That's lake-link.com. If your rifle, shotgun, handgun, or muzzleloader needs work this season, call Roger Williams at Northern Magnetic, LLC. A licensed professional gunsmith for over 35 years, Roger can repair, customize, rebarrel, install sights and scope mounts, and more on all firearms, makes, and models. When you need a professional gunsmith, call Roger at 262-339-1798 or visit FixGuns.com. That's 262-339-1798 or FixGuns.com. Welcome back to Outdoors Radio with Dan Small. Welcome back to Outdoors Radio. I'm Dan Small. We're brought to you by Cedar Lake Sales on Highway 33 West in West Bend and on the web at cedarlakesales.com. Buy a new Crestliner boat at Cedar Lake Sales now and get instant cash back through the end of the month. And the folks at Cedar Lake Sales are gearing up for their launch into summer event April 3rd through the 8th with seminars on Saturday, April 8th. Check out their website or Facebook page for details. We're also brought to you by Ducks Unlimited. Find out about their upcoming DU Expo at duckexpo.com. And by the Wisconsin DNR Hunter Education Program. Want to go hunting? Sign up for hunter education or learn to hunt classes at dnr.wi.gov. Our TV show, Outdoor Wisconsin, may not be airing where you live now, but you can always watch past episodes at milwaukeepbs.org. And last year's Deer Hunt Wisconsin show is archived on the Deer Hunt Wisconsin TV YouTube channel, along with shows from several past years. If you happen to miss any dates or websites or phone numbers that we mentioned, you can always listen to the show online at lake-link.com slash radio. And our show is also available as a podcast from LakeLink, from iHeartMedia, and also now on the new Outdoor News website. Outdoornews.com slash podcasts is the way to find it. You can find Jeff on social media at Hardwater Jeff and find me at Dan Small Outdoors. Leftover turkey permits went on sale this week, and all remaining permits are on sale as of Saturday, March 25th. You can buy one per day until they're sold out or until the turkey season ends. With winter conditions lingering in some parts of Wisconsin and Minnesota, you may be tempted to feed deer thinking you're helping them get through a difficult time. But the DNR reminds us that supplemental feeding of deer, such as leaving corn and other feed out for them in your backyard, actually causes more harm than good, as their gut is not adapted to feed items that are not part of their natural winter diet. And besides, feeding deer is currently illegal in most Wisconsin counties. For a full list of wildlife feeding regulations and details on why supplemental feeding in winter can be harmful to deer, Visit dnr.wi.gov, keywords baiting and feeding. Our theme music is by Warren Nelson. Warren and friends will present a series of concerts this spring, and for upcoming events you can visit warrennelson.com and click on the media page. I'm Dan Small. Jeff Kelm will be back next week. Get outside this weekend, folks, and be sure to join us again next week for Outdoors Radio. Let's get to the perfect speed. Oh, how I love leaving the shore behind. When the cool night swallows 
the moose's nose And the heron is fishing On one cold leg When the loon cries lover In the blue north wind I'll be trolling home to you When my wrist gets a little chilly On the gunnel When my lazy Ike is just too lazy to lure When the worms go dry In the coffee can, honey 